Hello. <laughs> this is The, the Cheddar. Cheddar. Last week we were able to talk about our internships, so be sure to take a listen. And today we're going to be talking about cybersecurity. Cyber <laughs> <laughs> so close. Talking about security. So today we're going to be covering PCI compliance as it pertains to the PCI DSS as well as the CISSP exam, also known as the CISP. So those are some big acronyms. Um, so if you want to learn what they mean and why they're so important, keep listening. Stay tuned. Alrighty, so we're going to start off talking about PCI DSS. So what it stands for is Payment Card Industry Data Security Standards. So that's a big mouthful, so we just say PCI most of the time. Yes. PCI is a bunch of different standards that companies have to follow to protect credit card data. And Katie's going to talk about what types of companies are applicable to PCI and like how PCI got started. Yes, so PCI is formed from a security standards council and usually it's just referred to as the PCI council. It was founded in 2006, which if you think about it was such a long time ago and I feel like it's only becoming relevant now, which is definitely an issue. (laughs) Um, It was founded by American Express, Discover Card, JCB International, MasterCard, and Visa, so it's the five major credit card companies, and they just formed together to create this council to make sure that the corporations and organizations that were using their like credit card information were remaining compliant. Mm-hmm. So the companies that like have the transactions they're based on a level system and those levels are organized by number of transactions a year so we were saying if you're like a mom and pop store and you only have maybe like a hundred transactions a year you're not necessarily going to need to be pci compliant a big thing in society today is square which is the white machines at some like coffee shops or like ice cream restaurants and then you can like insert your chip card at the top or swipe it on the side and that allows like smaller companies to be able to do business independently and so I don't believe those have to be PCI compliant either so that's definitely Mm -hmm. something to take into consideration yep and I would say like there's so many requirements within PCI that you wouldn't expect a mom and pop store to be able to follow all of those just because a lot of them aren't relevant like they're not going to have um like a data warehouse yeah i mean yeah and i mean like you won't have a data breach if you only have like four things you're selling (laughs) yeah like ideally you wouldn't be less likely to be hacked just because hackers are going to go for big companies that have like billions of dollars in revenue absolutely so it just sort of Um, depends on how at risk you feel. There are a lot of simple ways to make yourself more secure. Um, And so one of the things that we recommend in terms of the end user that's using like a debit or credit card is to use your credit card for most transactions, if not all of them. 
um, because debit cards are not included under PCI. They have a different set of standards and it's a lot less strict. So even if you do get hacked, um, there's a lot less like reliability that you'll get your money back. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you guys have credit cards, be sure you're using them, especially for online payments um, and things like that. going to briefly go over the main components of PCI. There are a ton, like the requirements are a little bit ridiculous, um, and how, how it works are, is that when companies are looking to become compliant, um, they usually work with consultants who are specified in that area, know all the requirements and what's appropriate, and then they get um, an exam of sorts called the ROC, where a company comes in and audits them. Um, and basically checks off that they're compliant. And then every year or so, they get it reconfirmed that they're staying compliant under PCI standards. Yes, and the ROC stands for Report on Compliance. Oh, I didn't even know that. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to briefly go over a little bit more in depth as to what PCI contains. So the requirements for security management, policies, procedures, network architecture, software design, and other protective measures. Um, That's a lot of words, but basically anything that you can do to protect credit card data and eliminate it where you don't need it. Because the best way to secure information, as I believe we've mentioned on previous episodes, is to just not have it in the first place. Mm -hmm. So um, this helps your data from being hacked and for like a company's credibility, like we hear all the time different companies being hacked and data being stolen and like credit card information is especially not good to be stolen right so um if a credit card is involved in any business process it's in scope for pci so when you think about like other things that are happening within the business like hr like a business is huge right if it doesn't have to do with credit card data then it doesn't matter it's out of scope yep so Um, But on the other hand, there are some things that you may not think about at first that are in scope. So if you, if a business has a like help desk or customer service desk and they're inputting credit card information or let's say they're recording conversations. I I know what you're saying. Whenever you are on like a phone call with your bank and the first automated thing that comes up is like, this call will be monitored for quality assurance purposes. Like those calls are in scope because you're you're saying your credit card number over the phone and someone could be hacking into that and stealing your credit card information. Yep. So even things like that that don't necessarily store a number it's more of an audio recording those are still in scope for pci so it ends up being a lot of things that are in scope Um, and that's what makes it so complicated is you have to deal with different types of data Um, and then within that there's different ways of handling data so this also includes like how it's stored in your servers and databases and how often these databases need to be purged of credit card data so a huge deal for the business. They want to keep as much data as they can, um, but you have to be able to justify why you want to keep credit card information for as long as you need it. And if you're able to 
do that correctly, then you can keep it for that period. So if a business says they want to keep credit card data for 10 years, that probably isn't going to fly. But if they say like three to five years and have like a justifiable reason as to why it's important in their business processes, um, then you're good. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are 12 requirements in total. So do you want to like list the categories of that, Katie? Yeah, so they're grouped into six categories because in reality, each of the 12 has an endless amount of subcategories per requirement. So, I mean, a PCI like test in whole could take up to a year to do. Um, so the six categories are like vaguely build and maintain a secure network, protect cardholder data, maintain a vulnerability management program, implement access control measures, regular, regularly monitor and test networks, and maintain an information security policy. Woo. So we're gonna go a little bit more in depth into all of these categories. Yes, so to start off, build and maintain a secure network. This, in my experience, was the most technical aspect of the PCI, so they put you know, senior employees on this who were specialized in networking and knew what they were doing and had like the business telecommunication skills. I know that's the class um, that they teach networking in my university. Um, So this mostly has to do with firewalls and I didn't really have a lot of experience with it because again, I did not know firewalls at the time, kind of still don't, (laughs) Um, but it's definitely very technical and important to the company because if your firewall is not up, then hackers can get into your organization. So I got to work with firewalls a bit, not specifically for PCI, but I can give sort of a general overview of what goes on um so basically a firewall is what allows certain things to come into and out of your network and you want it to be as limited as possible and only let things in and out that are required for business operations Mm -hmm. so a lot of times when you're configuring a firewall you have a rule set and you say these are the things that I'm going to allow to come in and these are the things I'm going to allow to go out and um, usually businesses will let in more than they need to so our job as consultants going in was to figure out okay what are they allowing to go in does it make sense that it's happening in this way what can we limit Um, and things like that So the next part is protecting cardholder data. And a huge piece of this, um, sort of the buzzword, is encryption. So making sure that if someone is going to hack into your system, that the data isn't just plain text. Like they can just read everything right Mm -hmm. off the database. Um, They'll have to do a little bit more work to try and decrypt um, what the data underneath is. But encryption isn't 100% secure. Encryption can still be hacked. Another method that businesses will use is truncation. So the correct way to do truncation would be um, eliminating the first 12 digits on a credit card Mm -hmm. and leaving the last four. There's 16 digits on a credit card. Yes. Yes. So a lot of times businesses will only need the last four digits of the credit card. So eliminating all of those numbers 
will definitely help your security because a hacker can't just guess the rest of that. Like that's Mm -hmm. not very plausible. So you wouldn't be masking that. You would actually just eliminate it and replace it with X's. Yes. That's usually if you get an email, um, say you purchase like a planner online. I just bought a new planner for 2019. And so they email me a confirmation of like, oh, here's what you bought. And at the end, it masked the first 12 of my card, but then it showed the last four digits. And they're like, this is the card you used to purchase. Mm -hmm. And that's usually common for emails. Um, But if you do that throughout all of your databases as well, that will be a lot more secure. Yes. So the next one is maintaining a vulnerability management program. And I had a little bit of experience with this. Um, Usually it deals with antivirus. So at my internship, what we did was we took, we were both assigned um, like an antivirus. So the other intern was assigned Symantec and I was assigned McAfee. And we had to create an instruction manual for the company that we were auditing to use their specific antivirus, which was really interesting and super neat. And I did not know how to do it before, um, but it was cool to see like, how what we were doing was going to directly impact them Hmm. yeah was that for like all employee laptops Mm -hmm. okay yeah it was cool the next one is um it's kind of basic that you wouldn't really think about but it's essential to every organization no matter uh, who you are it's implementing access control measures which at the bare of its like the grain of what it is is physical security and so when you think about it just think of like a security guard and when we would go into client sites at my internship um we just went on some local ones but they would make sure that okay who can access this building do you have a key fob to enter do you have a pin that you have to enter um and every door that would lead to like a server room or like a control room or just even a room with people working with sensitive data on those laptops, they had to make sure that they had um, like certain security requirements that would only allow specific people to gain that access. Um, And this also had to deal with like video cameras. Are we recording people that are entering this room to make sure that, hey, if someone slips by and it's someone we don't know, can we get his face so we can <laughs> prosecute him and make sure he's not stealing information? So that's incredibly important because, you know, anyone could walk into Google and steal their information, but, you know, I'm sure that they have access to control measures to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, that is really important, and people forget about it. Um, part of what Protivity does for some of their physical, uh, like, security audits that they do they'll have someone that's um, designated as like the physical hacker and they'll not break in but they'll sort of try and walk in behind someone that has access Mm -hmm. and get into the area and then they'll try and prove that they were able to access a system so they'll go to an open computer and email themselves from it Mm. And a lot of times they'll have people saying like, oh, what are you doing here? And they just have to like try and get through, um, get through all of that to like a workaround. Yeah. So I know like I had this really funny one story, uh, this really funny story. So it was a, it was all IT and I guess it was mostly like men that were there. Mm -hmm. So, um, my boss 
decided that he was going to bring in a woman because they were used to seeing him around and knew that he was auditing them. Mm-hmm. So he brought in a female coworker, and they let her in. Um, they, like, took her up to the main call center. No. They gave her a phone. No. They, like, totally <laughs> uh, fell for it, That's I terrible. guess. Yeah. It's sort of funny. It happened in Tampa, actually. I don't know the company. Stop. Yep. So it definitely happens, and you have to be aware of, like, who's allowed access. Do they have a badge? If not, like, can they really prove that they're supposed to be there? Because people like that exist. You never know. Honestly, I was just thinking about this as you were saying that. I toured Amazon in February when I went, and the only thing that we needed was, like, a little visitor's badge. But, like, as soon as I got on the elevator, I could have just put that in my purse and just walked around. Like, no one was, like, roaming the halls, making sure people weren't where they were supposed to be. Yeah. That's so crazy. Another category of standards is regularly monitoring and testing networks. So... You have, you know, data purging methods in place. You have your antivirus. You have encryption, firewalls. You still have to monitor everything that is dealing with credit card data and the storage of credit card data. So when you're thinking about um, administrative access, like who's allowed to access um, certain areas of your network, you want to make sure that it's not just like a typical company account information like admin is the username and the password is like password. is password yeah you want something that is individual like for each administrator that needs to be on the network so um, that also holds people accountable so if something does happen they can trace it back to the admin that logged in that was like a specific user and then on top of that you want to make sure that it's not someone that's hacking in that's using a specific administrator's info. You want to make sure that it's actually them. So you have multi-factor on top of that. Um, and that's through a tokenization process. So that could either be something that goes to their cell phone that they put in or it can be physical. So if it scans their eyes mm-hmm. um, or a body part. And they try, or it's a good security tip is to go for things that are more like related to what a person has like eyes um a fingerprint scanner Mm -hmm. something like that um because that's a lot harder to recreate rather than something a user knows like a password right uh something to keep in mind with this is a lot of people forget the two most important people in like a company when it comes to like people who can hack your organization and internally like an insider threat would be IT because they know how and HR because they have information on all of your employees so I think that's definitely something when you're determining access control for employees across the board is if something occurs you need to make sure that your IT and HR are definitely taken care of yeah and you want to give the least amount Um, of access as possible right so don't give someone in HR access to all of the IT structures and databases and things like that like you wouldn't give someone in accounting access to that and you wouldn't give someone from IT access to accounting information Mm -hmm. 
So separate things and it will make security a lot easier. (laughs) Separation of duties is like one of the main things that you'll learn. Yes. Um, So with that, you have to have someone that tracks who is accessing what. Um, And a lot of times this may look like a ticketing system. So someone would be going through and seeing, okay, what are the tickets that are in place, the problems, how are they being solved? And they would check in with um, like IT administrators periodically to say, okay, did you complete all of these things? And that's how you're able to find abnormal behavior or anomalies that will lead to hackings and things like that because... um, if there's an administrator that's doing something that isn't part of their daily tasks and is unusual, then that's a red flag. Yes. And so that whole process is called FIM, File Integrity Monitoring, and it's basically looking at what files are being changed, um, especially from like the coding side, the IT side. And then the last part, which often gets overlooked by companies, is maintaining a good information security policy. So a lot of what I worked on in my internship was making sure that policies were consistent with each other. Um, And this eliminates a lot of confusion because if you have a ton of different policies spread out that are specific to groups of individuals, um, it can be really difficult for them to find the right files and figure out the next steps, um, especially if there's some type of emergency or course of action they need to take. And so that deals with incident response. So a lot of times it's like, okay, if we do get hacked, what do we do? Like, how do we contain, how do we first of all find where the hacker has hacked um, and what they could be putting into the network, like viruses and things like that? How do we contain it? And then how do we... Make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, all of that. So that's all part of incident response and things that companies need to have prepared before PCI so they can deal with data breaches when they happen. Um, And this can also be like, how are you going to contact authorities in the press? Who's going to be in charge of that? Um, And that helps manage a lot of the catastrophes that happen. (laughs) I'm just thinking of Sony right now. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Why did they have like a really bad PR? Like who who must have been in charge to tell like the public oh hey everyone got hacked (laughs) usually like the cio or someone like that but that would stink that would suck (laughs) um and then the other piece of that is making sure that um you're storing these policies where they can be accessed by all the people who need to access them and that they're being reviewed and updated um because if they're not being reviewed and updated, are they still accurate to what's happening in the company today? Um, and if it's not, then what's the point of the policy in the first place? Absolutely. So, yep. Those are the six main categories of PCI. Woo, PCI. We hope that you learned something from that. PCI can be very complicated. So we just wanted to give you like a high level view on how your credit card information is being protected. Almost no one knows what PCI is, so if you can bring it up to a recruiter who knows what it is, that's instantaneously 
like the coolest thing ever (laughs) yeah if you're interested in security and you say oh I was listening to this podcast (laughs) that talked about PCI and I thought this was really interesting you're gonna have an amazing conversation and they're gonna remember you absolutely because no one knows what PCI is you're a leg up Okay, so the second thing we wanted to talk about was the CISSP exam. So Katie's going to go into that. Yes. So the CISSP is, well, you can take two sides when it comes to the CISSP. So there's some people that say certifications are everything when it comes to life. Um, (laughs) I mean, honestly and truly. These are your SAT people. And then there are other people that believe that certifications aren't necessary and you can get extremely far in life without them. These are your Mark Zuckerbergs. These are the people who dropped out of college and are insanely successful. Both options are perfectly fine. Yep. I would say that somewhere in the middle is probably good because when you have something like CISSP on your LinkedIn, you've established a lot of credibility for yourself and for the company you're working for because they can say like, oh, she or he really knows what they're talking about. Honestly, you're not doing yourself a disservice by studying for it because really you're just going to learn a lot and you're going to be better at your job. So CISSP is an acronym that stands for Certified Information Systems Security Professional. And it's granted by the International Information Systems Security Certification Consortium. Consortium. If you don't want to say that every time you talk about the CISSP, (laughs) just say ISC squared. (laughs) So the exam, the CISSP has eight domains now. They kind of update it frequently, I feel like. Almost, I don't know. like Almost every yearly? Yeah, I, like I want to say every two years. So the current eight domains that they just updated to are similar to PCI. Um, security and risk management, asset security, security architecture and engineering, communication and network security, identity and access management, security assessment and testing, security operations, and software development security. And they expect you to have a lot of experience in the security field. Like this isn't something that you would take fresh out of college, like wanting to gain experience because it's less about memorization and what you know, and it's more about like how to apply that in a real world situation. Absolutely. I don't think it's definitional in any way. I think it's all about hey have you done this do you know how to do this okay like prove it (laughs) (laughs) okay so basically everyone who's anyone who's studying for the CISSP exam knows about the CISSP exam guide by the wonderful and amazing and fabulous Sean Harris who is no longer with us unfortunately however she was one of the top 25 women in information security amazing like super cool human being And this exam guide is kind of like what everyone uses to study for it because it's like the holy grail studying. And it covers, I feel like we're sponsored by this. (laughs) We're totally not. Wow. It covers um, 1,400 practice problems, which honestly you're going to need because this exam exam is like a thousand questions. Probably not. I don't think so. Um, But it feels like it. And the exam guide covers all domains. So if you're really looking to study for this thing and get the cert, then this is the book I would get based on 
everyone who's ever taken the exam. Yeah, and there's usually, like, I know for some other exams, there's usually um, workshop sessions, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but those usually cost, like, two grand plus. Yeah. So if you can do it in a cheaper way and use a book, that's definitely the way to go. This book is, like, under 50, so get it, purchase it, or don't. It's up to you. It would help. Also, there's resources online you can use to study. Lynda.com has a super cool CISSP videos. You can, like, study while you're eating breakfast or, I don't know. Do they really? Living life. Yeah, I'm pretty <gasps> sure. Wow. I need to look at that. But if they don't, this is going to be really bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know CompTIA is, like, a, another certification website, and they for sure do because I studied that my downtime and my internship which was super cool because then I could talk to recruiters and be like oh yeah I'm studying for the CSSP wow <laughs> um okay but as of January 1st 2018 there were 122,289 ISC squared members who have the CISSP certification and this spans over 166 countries so like that's a lot of countries that do cybersecurity. Um, but U.S. has the most certifications at 79,617. So this is a little off topic, but I was researching like other places I could get a cybersecurity master. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there was nothing outside of the U.S. Yeah, I would say like it's probably either D.C. or like Cali. Yeah. So it's interesting because it's like such a growing field nowadays, but there's not a lot of majors or masters in cybersecurity at uf like we don't have a cybersecurity degree so if you're interested in the field like don't feel like you're behind because a lot of people just do personal research to figure out like what's going on it's just like with anything if you don't find other people who are as passionate as you are go online like listen to our podcast first of all (laughs) continue because we're definitely security nerds um get the get the sean harris book go online go to comptia do all their practice exams like there's definitely resources out there um listen to defensive security podcast for sure Mm -hmm. um message us and we can give you like 400 more resources if you want true there's other nerds out there i promise um, so the CISSP is actually approved under the DOD, which is super cool because this essentially means the DOD has like directives, which are, I want to say requirements that their employees need to be like certified under. And the CISSP is one of them. So that's really cool. And then here's kind of the kicker about it. So you have to have at least five years of full-time work experience in security and two plus domains in order to be certified however you can waive a year by having a four-year college degree or a master's in information security so this is the reason why so many people like not fresh out of college can't really get the CISSP because one they don't exactly know much um, and two you need the either four or five years so a workaround is that you can become an associate of ISC squared And that's valid for six years. And so in that time frame, you gain the work experience that is required. So either the four or five years, and then you become like a real CSSP person. And so the certification is valid for three years. 
and you basically have to do these continuing professional education and or CPE credits. Um, and that's just going to workshops and like tech conferences and just, you know, making sure that you're actually doing stuff in the field and not like paying so much money to get this certification and just like, I don't know, moving to Polynesia and not using it at all. <laughs> but it, it's, it works out in your favor because that's how you network with other security professionals. Yeah, that's literally like the the people you'll find that are so passionate as you are so if you're into this like the cpe credits aren't even an issue mm-hmm. um and something to take into consideration if you are wanting to study for this exam is that it's multiple choice and you have to get 700 out of a thousand points to pass so study up it's definitely hard so you have to get a c basically you have to get a c which okay. you're like oh wow i can get a c like I had a 4.0. Yeah. This isn't like the GRE. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the GRE. <laughs> I say as I walked into the GRE. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so there are other exams that you can take to help you prepare and get experience for things like this. Um, these are more like specialized and smaller, not exactly lesser known, but they definitely, you know, carry some weight similar to the CISSP. So like if you're super jazzed about networking, there's something you can get called the CCNA, which I think is like the CNA stands for Cisco Certified Network Associate. Mm -hmm. Um, And Madison is going to talk about the CEH. Yes. So the CEH stands for Certified Ethical Hacker, and you only need to have about two years of experience in order to take this exam. Um, and I just got a book on it, actually, and it's pretty good. I'm a fan. Oh, wow. um, and it basically just covers, like, all the material that's going to be on it. Um, and it's more of a general knowledge of, like, networks, network architecture, um, and ethical hacking. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, like... A huge program or anything but it's super cool to learn more of the technical stuff so you can apply it in like your day-to-day job and have that knowledge um and some things that i would recommend doing to help you pr- prepare for that beyond the book is there's a site called hack the box and it basically has a bunch of problems that it gives you that you have to try and hack into so it'll not like a virtual machine, but something like a virtual machine that you can um, try and hack into. So it's super cool. I think a lot of the solutions are on YouTube. And as someone who doesn't do a lot of programming, that's the route that I would go is figure out like how they did it and then piece it together myself. Right. Um, but that's just me. If you're cooler than me, then definitely try and hack it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I did during my internship that is very helpful for hack the box and is just cool to know is wireshark because i wanted something that was really relevant to how data is being stored today in security and everything's moving towards the cloud ccsp certified cloud security professional yep so that's also a good one there's two cloud ones and one requires a lot more experience and one is just um to gain more knowledge about the field so those would also be cool things to check out if you want to sort of narrow the things that you would have to study. Mm-hmm. Hope you enjoy studying for those certs. <laughs> Long nights at the library. Honestly, hit up Starbucks, grab a refresher, mm. and get a nice corner booth. and Yeah, I've been into tea lately. Yeah. Which is weird, but I'll like drink three cups of coffee, coffee and it like won't really affect me. 
and then I'll have a cup of tea and I'll be like whoa that was what I needed <laughs> like security is so important and I'm sure you all appreciate having your data secure so it's always good to know like what are the processes for that to happen and learn more about like how the world works honestly the biggest thing I learned at my security internship was that CIOs chief information officers and CISOs chief information security officers need to have a seat at the table um, because security is not well it wasn't back then like a year and a half ago um, it wasn't as important as people thought it was yes I can speak on that from my internship um, it still happens today people I mean Naturally, you tend to care a lot about business operations because that's what makes money for the business. But a lot of times, um, you like the company prioritizes operations over security. And a big part of what we did as a consulting firm is try and relay the importance of security and that like business operations will stop if you get hacked. Absolutely. So it cost you more money yes, in the long run. Yes. So being able to have a good balance of security and business is really what we're looking for today. Yeah. And a lot of companies, we're just going on a tangent that's super relevant yes. though. A lot of companies say, oh, I don't want to pay X amount of money um, for an independent auditor to come in and tell me that my company is secure when I can just assume myself it is. Okay. That is a fraction of what you will pay if you go through a breach. Yes. A hundred percent. And there's always something wrong in oh. the security world. So no one can say that they're perfect. There's always things that can be improved. Um, and even some of the smallest things make a difference, like multi-factor. Mm -hmm. If you implement multi-factor, you're significantly less likely to be hacked. And a lot of companies just don't do it. So that's really depressing. If you're a hacker, maybe, maybe turn off our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Hey guys! Hello! Thanks for listening to our episode on security. security! Here's where you can find us. The Cheddar Podcast at gmail.com Send us questions, queries, fan mail, you know, it's all good. <laughs> Cheddarcast is our tag on Facebook and Instagram. Stay, stay empowered and stay cheesy. Wherever you listen.